Hey everybody, what's up? Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share an exciting milestone that we uh, hit with the show. We crossed a hundred total listens. Um, so you know, I can't tell you how how thankful I am to all of you guys out there for listening to the show, uh, to all the guests that have come on. We have some really exciting uh, episodes coming up for you, so super excited for those. As always, if you you know the show is your show, so if there are things you want to see on the show. Please let me know. Um, holler at me uh, on email. It's going to be in the show notes. My tw- Twitter DMs are open. Um, and looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, today's show, we have Andrew Reiner. He's the CEO of Grapevine AI. And he, he shares some really good lessons about, um, you know, we always hear about saving being the most important thing to do. But he shared some really good lessons he got from his dad about, hey, it's actually not true all the time. Uh, spending can actually be a really valuable investment, too. So. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it, and um, I will see you uh, for episode five next week. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of uh, Secure the Bag, uh, presented by Hacks with your host, uh, Karthik Sempo, myself. And I'm really excited to have Andrew Reiner on today. Andrew is the CEO and co-founder of Grapevine AI. Um, Andrew, thanks so much for being here. You got it. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, you want to give folks a little bit of uh, background of what you're working on at Grapevine? Sure, yeah. Uh, Grapevine AI is a voice-activated relationship insights platform. Essentially, we take unstructured voice and help salespeople build authentic relationships at scale. Got it. I really liked your story that I read about uh, your inspiration for it with the with, with, at the wedding, right? You want to tell people about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was at a wedding up in Cape Cod, and I saw a guy wearing a Knicks hat. It was like, who wears a baseball hat to a wedding? And who wears a Knicks hat this close to Boston? Especially, especially the Knicks, right? Especially the Knicks. And this is when the Knicks were like still really bad. Not like on like nine game <laughs> winning streaks, right? This is a couple of years ago. And uh, I like struck a conversation with him. I learned a handful of random things about him, right? He was a doctor from the Upper West Side of the city. He's affiliated with Columbia. He's drinking McAllen and dancing with his wife. And I thought I should introduce him to my dad because my dad sort of checks all these boxes as well. And the next morning I forgot his name and this really just angered me. And I thought there needed to be a better way of retaining and recalling information that I learned just in my everyday life. And that sort of spurred what Grapevine AI has become. Awesome. And we'll, we'll be sure to put uh, the link to, to Grapevine and where people can find out more info in the show notes. Um, so the, the, the mission with uh, this podcast series um, is to shed some transparency in everyone's personal finance journey. I think, you know, we're so influenced um, as people by our childhood, by, um, you know, the lessons we've learned uh, with money. And unfortunately, I don't think we do a great job of sharing that with one another. And I think there's still a little bit of stigma in doing so. And as a result, um, I think, you know, a lot of folks are shortchanged by uh, learning the lessons from others and potentially applying that to their own finances. So I'm hoping um, listeners listening to you and our other guests can really begin um, incorporating some of the things that you've learned and, and understanding that this is really all about um, everyone is completely like, capable of doing this. Um, kind of we all start from not a lot typically, and it, it's just about uh, taking some lessons, starting and just becoming a bit better every day. Um, so why don't we, a lot of folks 
you know, don't know much about you. So why don't we start from the beginning? Um, what was your childhood like? Yeah, I grew up in Manhattan. Uh, both my parents worked. My dad, like I mentioned, is a doctor um, over at Mount Sinai, and my mom is a real estate broker. So I grew up here. Uh, I went to school here, and I, I went to college up in Wellesley at Babson. Um, I have an older brother, three and a half years older than me, but I grew up playing sports, being outdoors as much as I could. Um, my parents were you know, well off to the point where we didn't really have to worry about anything. I went to private school here in the city, which everyone knows is expensive. And that was an amazing opportunity for me. Um, but yeah, my, my parents made sure that like, no matter what we did or, or who we were, we were as grounded as we possibly could. Um, <laughs> I grew up spending my weekends up at a farm in Connecticut doing manual labor and building stuff with my dad, which is like some of the fondest memories I have. Got it. And for those, for those weekends, were you actually, like, were you doing manual labor and, and like getting paid for it for via salary or is this just kind of volunteer work? No, no. Uh, it was like a bonding experience for, for me and my dad. You know, I'm sure if you ask him today, he's like, well, he paid for food and, and school for me. Like this was my way of trying to pay him back. Um, right. But for the most part, it was just, it was just a bonding experience. Cool. Uh, yeah. And so sounds like, you know, you had a, um, you know, it's, Quite, quite a childhood living in Manhattan. Do you have uh, a first memory of money either from your childhood or maybe your parents ever talked to you about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, my, my first vivid memory about money is ridiculous. Um, I had somehow saved up like a couple of bucks, like not much. I think I was like four or five. And I was up in Connecticut and my mom brought me to like a stationery store. And it was either her birthday or Mother's Day or something was coming around and I wanted to buy her a gift. I probably had like four bucks, right? And the only thing in the store was a jigsaw puzzle that I could afford. So I went, I bought it for her. And it turns out, you know, 10 years later, my mom tells me that I bought an X-rated jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> and the cashier just let me, let like a four-year-old kid buy it and then wrapped it. And I had no idea. It was literally like the only thing I could afford in the store when I was like four years old. So it was um, it's the, my first actual memory of spending any money was buying my mom some sort of, I don't even want to think about it, puzzle, jigsaw puzzle. So <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, I'm sure she's, uh, I'm sure she keeps that uh, just at least as a memento. Um, and as you grew up, did your parents, do you, do you remember any conversations you had with your parents or with relatives about uh, saving or investing or, or different things along those lines? Um, yeah, it probably depends on the age, yeah. right? But talking about money was always something that I did with my dad um, and with my mom to a point, right? We were very sort of like candid and open about it you know, not the conversations like how much is our family worth? Like I have no idea that type of thing. Um, but more about how to treat it as an asset class from when I was really, really young. Um, the benefit and value of saving, right? How to look for like some sort of opportunity, how to bet on yourself, like the, these types of things. Like my, when my parents got married and moved into a, a house in Queens, they had like $200 to their name. Um, and they did that because my dad and my mom were both confident in themselves to sort of rebuild from, from zero in a better opportunity in a better style and a better location. Um, and that's 
something that my dad, both my parents, but mostly my dad really sort of hammered into us or to me. Got it. And when, when you think about, um, you know, you touched upon learning about the value of money from an early age, like what are some of the big lessons you kind of gathered from that time that you maybe applied later, later in life? Don't be afraid to spend it if you have it, right? You, you can't take it with you, mm-hmm. um, but not to be frivolous, right? Don't, don't spend things. You know, my, I, I don't think I've bought a pair of jeans in, in two years, right? I don't think I've bought new t-shirts in five. That's just who I am. Um, I bought new socks. That's about it from like a clothing perspective because like my, my everything works for me and it's fine. Um, but, you know, find what you want to spend money on and, and be unapologetic. It's such a great lesson. Cause I think, you know, there's so much you hear about saving and investing. And I think all those things are super important, but you know, at the end of the day, to, to your point, um, we're all going to leave this planet. And while it's important to save and leave money for your family, you know, it's, it's, it shouldn't just be a mission just to save every penny and you should be able to enjoy uh, the things that you care about, right. With the money you can buy. Um, and, and so I know that you, um, you started your own company. Uh, I think when you were what, 11 or 12, maybe, uh, 13 or 14, 13 or 14. Yeah. Um, and, and if you want to tell folks a little bit about, um, what that was and, and also, you know, maybe equally importantly, um, what are some of the things you learned as an entrepreneur making money, generating revenue? Uh, how did that impact your, your view on money for better or for worse? Sure. So I started a company called AMR Computers, which is for Andrew Michael Reiner. Um, I, hijacked, yeah, I, I hijacked my family's fax number without them knowing. And I, I bought like a, a phone for like 20 bucks and that was my phone number. So for years, my fax didn't work and my parents didn't know. Um, the, we built computers from scratch. We did network engineering, website design. Um, I scaled the company to about 250 clients all through word of mouth, um, hired freelancers before it was a thing. And then, and then sold my client list before I went to college. So that's really what we did. He started it. Um, I was always good at computers. I was always sort of hacking stuff and building stuff. And, um, me and my two best friends were very much into sort of like high-end speakers. We just go to a place called Stereo Exchange down on, I think, Broadway or Bleecker. Um, and we'd sit and just listen to good music on these like very fancy speakers. And I wanted a pair. They were, they were B&W or Bowers and Wilkins. And in order to buy them, they were probably $600 a speaker. I needed to buy a $1,200 receiver and I need something to listen to. So I had to buy like an $800 HD CD player. It was all ridiculous, but the entire thing probably cost like 3,500 to four grand. And when I went to my parents, it was like, Hey, I, I got this stuff. How about like a really nice early birthday gift? They kind of just laughed. And I was like, fuck it. I'll just start something. I'll make some money and then buy it. Mm-hmm. And that's what caused me to start. AMR computers. I, I wanted speakers. That was it. Um, yep. And then it, it didn't take me long, a few months when I was 14, um, however old I was, to, to get that cash. Uh, and then as literally, as soon as I had enough, I went down there and I bought everything. Um, so I, I, I used it as a, 
a means to an end. But then when I realized like it was nice being able to have cash to spend on stuff that I wanted, um, I just kept, I kept going. Nice. And did you, so yeah, like from all the things that you learned maybe early in your childhood, like as you were generating more and more cash from your, from your clients, were you thinking about saving and investing or were you like, Hey, let me buy nicer speakers or some other stuff. Like talk to me about that. Yeah. At first, um, I don't know why at, at first I was embarrassed that I was mm-hmm. making money, which was a very strange feeling. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why I, I can't tell you. And, and the first thing I thought after I bought these speakers was I just spent money on something no 14 year old should ever own. And I felt some sort of shame which was very weird. Um, and so I decided to continue to make money because I, I wanted the option of buying something if I want, but I didn't know what I wanted. Like if I wanted a new computer, I'd build it. Um, and then eventually I went to my mom and I was like, I need to invest this money. And she thought that it would be like 500 bucks. And I opened up the safe I had that she didn't even know I had like in my drawers by my bed. And there was like 30 grand in there for cash. Um, and I was just making money and, and it was, I was good at it. Um, and I told her I wanted to buy stock because I didn't want all of it. Right. I I said to her that I wanted to invest. I probably said like, you know, 90% or whatever it was. Um, but I wanted to put it to work because it was just sitting here. (laughs) It was doing nothing for me. And I wasn't going out and buying something for 25 grand. That was like, just not happening. Right. I, I want to come back to the embarrassed part. I think that's really fascinating. But where did you get the idea to, that, you know, stock, buying stocks was the thing you wanted to invest in? Was that something that was just kind of to, to our earlier conversation, something you learned from your dad? Was that something you read somewhere? Like, yeah, where did you kind of, where, how'd that pop into your head? Yeah, I always heard sort of my parents talking about the stocks that they were buying. Um, I used to follow a couple of stocks myself. Um, back then, it was you just like would go to the financial section of the Times or the Wall Street Journal, and you're like literally looking at the ticker symbols, and that's it. There was no yeah. Google Finance or anything like this for for me. Um, and I just really thought like I understood compounding at an early age, right? I understood look if you put $100,000 in the market, the market average is six and a half percent. I understood like what, 10, 11 years, 12 years later, your 100 grand turns into 200 grand. You don't have to do anything, right? It just just goes, just works. And obviously there are ebbs and flows and, and, and crashes and rip runs, but um, I heard them talking about it a lot. And I thought like, hey, it just doesn't make sense to keep 30 grand. And I, I was busier than ever at work making more money than I knew what to do with. I was like, it doesn't make any sense for this just to continue to compile and stay in a safe in my drawer. It's like keeping cash under your mattress. It like doesn't make any sense. Um, and I didn't know what else to do with it. So I was just like, can we invest this money? It's so powerful. I think, you know, and even for me, uh, coming from an immigrant background, I didn't really understand compounding until just even a, even a few years ago. Um, but it's just so powerful that, you know, you had the, uh, the opportunity and probably good fortune, right, to learn about the power of compounding and the stock market and kind of the, the, the ability to compound in that kind of paradigm. 
such an early age. Um, and I think it's such, such an advantage, right, from a personal finance perspective, laying that, that foundation so early. Um, how did you and your mom actually identify what you wanted to invest in? Or, or if you want to share, what did, what did you end up investing in? <laughs> Apple. Wow. Yeah. And, and did you, uh, have, did you have the, the long-term uh, outlook to hold um, from when you invested for, from now? For part of it, uh, there, there are definitely still shares that have like an $11 cost basis. Wow. Um, Amazing. The, I wanted, I wanted to invest in things I knew, right? Um, I think it, it, I knew Apple were the computers of the future, right? I knew I was building computers from scratch and those were all Windows machines. But I just recognized that Apple was just a good stock. Um, and so we just, not we didn't put all of it in there, right? But we put a lot of it in there. Um, and then we, we gave, essentially gave the money uh, as a consolial account to my, my parents' best friend, um, sort of ran my parents' portfolio and just created a custodial account for me and put it in there. And there was, there was some Disney in there, um, which I still think pays me like $4 in interest a year, <laughs> right? Um, there was some Disney and some Apple stock. That's all I remember. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I know uh, Warren Buffett is a, uh, a famed investor, potentially the, the best investor ever, um, talks about the circle of competence idea, right? Understanding, I think people make stock working out to be really hard, but if you know, invest in the in the companies and, and brands that you believe in and where the future is going. Sometimes it's just easier to be to be simpler about about that versus looking at you know all this research PE ratios and all, all of this kind of stuff. So it's uh, sometimes just better to to keep it simple. Yeah, my my old boss Marty Zweig used to sort of think that way as well, but he took it one step further. He's, he, for the most part, only invested in companies that had no leverage. Mm. Um, and he's like blue chip stocks that have no leverage outperform all the time. And it gives him the cash on hand to acquire companies that need it. And he had 31% annualized returns for 35 years. Wow. So, uh, and we won't do the math here, but that's <laughs> a lot of my, a, a lot of return to compound. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I know, uh, you know, you went to school and then uh, you worked on Wall Street for a few years after school. What did you, you know, Wall Street's obviously um, the uh, kind of the center of the universe in the finance world, at least it is now. We can talk about if that's going to remain the, the future with, with crypto and everything separately. But what did you learn from that experience working with, you know, people that were very well versed in, in finance and investing? Did you change any core beliefs you had? Did you add to them? So I, I interned at Lehman in 07 and I graduated college in 08. <laughs> um, I recognized a few things. Money was different to people in 07 when I was interning there. Um, I, I worked with somebody whose daughter had a sweet 16 and there was something about like the tent that they wanted to get that couldn't fit and they had to move their gravel road to the other side of the house. And the guy I worked with goes, how much does it cost? It's 50 grand. Do I look like I give a shit about 50 grand? Just do it and move it back next week and hung up the phone. I was like, this is it's a different, different level here, 
Um, and then in 08 happened and, and Lehman went under, I realized how probably I, like no, no firm data point here, but probably 75% or more of everybody's asset allocation was in Lehman stock. And I just watched these people go from 10, 20, $50 million worth of net worth, maybe more to nothing. And I recognize that like diversification is key and it might not be key on the way up, but it's clutch on the way down. So that's really what I recognize from starting in finance. That, that's really insightful. And yeah, for, for those of uh, you listeners that, that uh, don't know, uh, 2008 was the great financial crisis. Um, Lehman went under, Bear Stearns went under. I think Lehman got acquired by Barclays, is that right? We got acquired by Barclays for pennies on the dollar of the cost of yeah. the building we were housed in. So. Yeah, I, and, and I actually worked at Goldman uh, during that time, Goldman Sachs. And so I remember just the, it was just a different feeling, right? Um, when I started in, in Wall Street in 2006, um, you know, expense accounts, uh, going out to dinners, all that stuff. And then it kind of went all the way the other way and you know, uh, penny pinching kind of from, at least for the next couple of years. So it's definitely um, a wake up call to the industry. That's a great lesson. That's a great lesson. Um, so I have a couple of questions I'd like to, I'd like to end each episode on. Um, the first is, and again, this is not investment advice, but mm -hmm. love to, to, to ask this of all my guests. What is a, an investment? Um, could be a stock, could be real estate in the city, could be some, you know, some other collectible, could be crypto, could be anything. What's an investment or an asset that you personally are most bullish on over the next five years? New York City real estate is in a weird place. So I'm not bullish on, on New York City real estate, even though I'm bullish on an eventual rebound. I don't fully understand crypto all that much. Like, call me cautious. Like I, I typically think that like it's one regulation away from going to zero, even though that doesn't really make all that much sense anymore, but I definitely missed on that. Um, I think the most bullish I would be a part of right now are logistics oriented companies. Um, I think that if you look at where we're going with e-commerce and with shipping and trucking and all of this stuff, I, I think logistics are, are here to stay. Um, if not just go further and further towards like record breaking revenues. Um, and that's, if I invested cash in some sector right now, it'd probably be in logistics. And with logistics, just to kind of put some company names to that sector for, for the listeners, is that more like, is that more like FedEx? Is that, um, yeah. is that like Amazon? Obviously Amazon does. Yeah. Things. So it, it could be like Amazon or, or FedEx or XPO or any of these last mile deliveries, any of these shipping and, and, and freight companies. Um, the more globalized we move, which makes sense, especially from like a commerce perspective, I, I think that people you know recognize or don't recognize all the time that Amazon's great. And Amazon owns most of the trucking. So like that's a different type of animal. But every time you go to Etsy and buy something, someone has to ship it. And that, that entire logistics process is very complicated. Right. And if you look, I'm blanking on the name, but some of the, the wealthiest self-made people in the US are in logistics and trucking. And you would never know that and you wouldn't really think of it 
but these are, are industries that are just ripping over the past couple of years. Cool. That's, it's, uh, I fully agree. And I think if COVID showed us anything, it's that, you know, online delivery, uh, e-commerce, uh, there are things that were going to come take over the world anyway. And there, mm -hmm. it happened three to five years earlier than expected and, and more quickly. So I think, um, there's going to be so much investment and so much growth in that, in those arenas. So, mm -hmm. uh, definitely an interesting space to, to put money to work. Uh, okay. And then the last question is, you know, to me, a hidden secret, and you've alluded to this, you know, throughout our conversation, but a hidden secret about personal finance is that, look, nobody does it themselves. We're all kind of a product of different things we learned along the way and countless number of people and interactions to kind of help shape our worldview. So, uh, is there an example of, of someone or an experience you had that maybe is underlooked, but is, is something that, you know, you have a lot of gratitude towards and, and really helped uh, shape uh, the way you think about money? Yeah. Um, I, I always had faith in my ability to secure a job, which was strange coming out of college in 08 and making it through the Lehman crisis. And um, I always thought that I would figure it out. Um, and my dad had a very counterintuitive perspective to everything you read about, like, save every dollar, blah, 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 blah. And that's great advice. Um, but the one thing he told me when I graduated college, you were worked at Goldman, I worked at Lehman. You know, we, we all made within like a specific band, right? Your first year or second year. If I saved five grand that year, would that five grand have like a tremendous impact in five years of my life? Or should I spend it when I was young, not save that much, if anything, to enjoy the time with my friends when I was 22, 23, 24. Um, and it was very, I was very fortunate to, to have that advice because some of my best memories actually came from going out, traveling with my five best friends and um, you know, not worried about saving because the thought was if I made a career in finance or if I jumped out from whatever it was, I didn't know I was going to do that at the time, that the 2,500 to five grand I would save over the course of a year could be spent on creating memories or, or bonding with my friends. And that money, while it's, it's not insignificant, if you're 3X or 4X your salary in a couple of years, you're a total comp, like that four or five grand that you saved your first year out of college doesn't really move the needle anymore. Um, and that was, that was one of the best things that was counter to everything I read about, right. Or everything I even heard about. Um, but I don't regret it. Right. I didn't save much of anything. Um, my first sort of year or two and then, you know, Lehman went under. So I was like, oh, well, I have no savings now. I'm like, what, what the hell's happening? Um, but yeah, I was fortunate enough to get a job at Barclays and then, and then find a position as a quant researcher at a hedge fund. Um, and I look back on like my trips to like Ireland with like my four best friends crammed into one room mm -hmm. and like, I'm very happy we did it. Right. So, um, I, I think that the best thing that he sort of told me was like, don't be foolish with it, but at the same time, if you have it and you want to spend it on something that's going to be impactful to your life, you should. Great. It's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Andrew, for the time today. And we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me.